Hello and welcome to 3 Kino, the film appreciation podcast. I'm Al. And I'm Pro. What is the first of the three films? The first of the three films is Ashes and Diamonds by Andrzej Wajda, 1958. A Polish film. A Polish film, no doubt. No doubt that is the case. <laughs> <laughs> What's it about? Mm-hmm. Well, on the day of Germany's surrender from the war, World War II, uh, Maciek, a fighter for the Polish resistance, struggles with a mission to kill a compatriot and former ally. That is what it's about. That's what it's about. Yep. Interesting plot. Definitely a very, very interesting plot. Yeah. Well, how about the visuals? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 1958 could have been in colour. Could have made it in colour. They didn't. They made it in black and white. That's true. Mm. Didn't think about that. And yeah, we were talking about it because you can. Well, I was. Yeah, I was saying. I thought you can add more layers on black and white. So it's a general point about black and white. Um, but you do. Do you think yeah. the film work, mm. works if it was in colour? I think overall it probably would have worked, yeah, because the story is strong enough. Mm. But I mean, it certainly does seem to rely on these visuals. I mean, uh, all the the visuals of black and white. Uh, but I, I still can't exactly put my finger on what uh, what it adds. Well, I think <laughs> things like shadows mm. in color films they they kind of get lost in the background because your eyes don't necessarily focus on shadows but mm. rather colours I think colours maybe take priority over shadows in your mind when mm. you're watching colour movies mm-hmm. but in black and white movies when there aren't only two colours on the screen yeah. <laughs> and mm. the shadows just tend to stand out more mm-hmm. and in this film they use a lot of shadows yeah yeah because yes, yeah, it's, it's set largely at night isn't it I guess uh, yeah, but even though like, there's something about there's there's a lot of there's always a lot of movement, even right. though even though it's set at night because because of what's happening because um you're at that kind of period of of change in the country, right? There's like constantly troops marching up and down right the streets, and even when you're inside, you see like shadows coming from outside the window, mm-hmm. which after you've seen the troops marching, you assume is is more troops like constantly moving and playing across the screen. Mm. Yeah, even so. Yeah, yeah, right. So even though it's night time, it doesn't it doesn't feel like night time um, as exactly because there's so much movement and so many people around. Right. Um, it, it gives it. It gives it the film a kind of an energy. That's what I like about it. Um, in that, there's always something going on in the background. Right, which is, which is a story, which is in the story. There's a kind of a lot of different layers to the story, but it's also, also in the way it looks, and yeah, people moving around a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you expect, being the last day of the war, like officially, mm. uh, a lot of celebrations are happening. True. You would do, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. A big part of the film takes place in, it's like a kind of fancy hotel, I assume. Mm. Um, 
to the, the one of the main set pieces of the film is the, the banquet scene. Mm-hmm. And even though this is a very serious, it's a very serious story, there are comedy elements in it. Right. So there's two characters at one point who get very very drunk, mm. and there's kind of a bit of slapstick where uh, one of the guys who's uh, the secretary of this high ranking official, and he's supposed to, he's supposed to have done all, all done some work for the evening, and he hasn't because he's plastered. Right. And then he ends up gate crashing the banquet, and he like jumps on the table, and then <laughs> he pulls the tablecloth out from everyone. <laughs> I think, yeah, just that kind of... Because there's constant moving, mm. movement in the film, and that, it just, it, it helps to change the tone from, like, a serious, too serious. Mm. It kind of, it, it makes the mood a bit more lighthearted at some points. Yeah. Which is, which is yeah, it's a sign of a good, a good film. I think that's probably what makes it so interesting. Yeah. Uh, is that, yeah, it's not, you know... It's not monotonous. Not monotonous. It's not a one note. There's two, at least two. There's at least two. There's two or three notes in this film. A minor, A minor, A, a sharp. That's one of them. Uh. <laughs> it's one of the three notes in the film. Sound. Just one last thing on the. Okay, visuals. please, please. So yeah. the main character who starts off the film a bit of like a he's kind of a cold-blooded killer. Like he's gotten used. As being as part of the resistance, he's gotten used to killing, mm-hmm. and he constantly his his costume. I guess he's wearing these kind of modernish clothes, mm. and he constantly wears sunglasses. He does. Yeah. He's the only character in the film wearing sunglasses, right? And people don't wear sunglasses at night usually. Yeah. Same. Yeah, most people don't. Yeah, don't, yeah, do yeah, they that. don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then halfway through the film, where something, where he kind of develops a romance. His character arc changes from this kind of like cool, detached, somewhat cold-blooded killer. I mean, he's charismatic. He's, he's not. Yeah. He's not. He's never seen as the bad guy, but he is a bad guy in some respects. Well, yeah, because he's just gunned down. Like basically, they got the wrong people, didn't they, at the beginning? Right. And he doesn't seem to. He doesn't seem to be any troubled about that particularly. Not. Not at all. Yeah. No. Yeah, and then so. Once he develops the relationship with the woman, you finally see him take off the glasses. Mm. And she even remarks, so why do you always wear these? I think it's just like a good visual representation of his character and how it changes. Like you, you notice once he's taken those off, that's when his arc starts to change and he becomes a bit more human, mm. yeah. realizing the consequences of his actions. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, because he's the, the, very much the, the soldier and that's part of his his gear almost. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a good point. Mm. Sound? Sound. What did you think of the sound? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it would be on the same point we've said uh, earlier, just about there being kind of a celebration. Uh, there's a lot of movement in the film. Yeah, there's a there's a constant background music, right? Which is being played, part I think usually by there is a band there. I think they're playing. It's kind of yeah, it's like in world music. In world music, it's not soundtrack, Mm. which I I like. It makes it makes the film a bit more immersive. Yeah, 
Yeah. What's that? Non-diegetic or diegetic? There's a technical word for that. I don't know what it is. But yeah, in world. We'll yes. go with that. <laughs> yeah, some of the music I, I, I quite liked. Not all of it. There was one song I didn't get on with, but <laughs> the other one was good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it sets, it sets the tone in it. It's um, the opening music. Music is also similar. It's got it's got a slightly kind of melancholy lilt. Ah, but, uh, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, but it's it's slightly melancholy, but also slightly jolly. Uh, and that's that's the story a little bit. But I suppose it is that contrast, like with the name Ashes and Diamonds. Mm. It's like that contrast there. So it's got the kind of slightly happy sound to it but there's also a kind of melancholy to it um yeah that's, yeah so also the, the dialogue <clears throat> the well on the main actor's part anyway um his so from films of this era you're kind of used to kind of stilted slightly it feels acted in a lot of films you, you can yeah. tell that they're trying to act in this film, he the main character in particular, his dialogue's very natural. It's just the way yeah. he speaks. Yeah. And it's n- it's not something you expect from a film this old. It's not something I expected from a film this old anyway. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you're right there. I think they would, yeah. I know what you mean, like, from the Amer- some of the American films from this era, not just and the British ones, well, there's, there's um, that um, wooden thing. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's quite smooth, isn't it? Like, dialogue from him. Yeah, mm. I like. Yeah, I think that was a good, good aspect of it. Mm. I agree with that. Any <laughs> other sound points? Um, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, but the music certainly um, is running throughout. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I think I think that indicates partly. Also, it's about the, about the movement. And everything's about change, isn't it? The story's about change. They're about they're at right. this kind of point of change, uh, and you can you can feel that in this in this in the in the in the music and the visuals. Um, and that, that's probably one of the points I like most about it is there is that that feeling of so much movement in this film. Yeah, it, it gives it an energy. Yeah, which I, yeah I did appreciate. And some for someone like me, I didn't know. I didn't have a background, a good background of the context behind the film, mm. like being the last day of the war. But it definitely tells a Polish side to that, because I didn't know about mm. the post-war regime, mm. and this is kind of the beginnings of communism after the Second World War in Poland. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um. For me, it just gave it an interesting backdrop because it's something mm. I didn't know about, mm. and I'm actually keen to give it a rewatch mm. on that basis just to see things I may have missed. That's it. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stories you see about World War Two, it's kind of clean, like oh, the good guys won or the bad guys won. But That's true. Yeah, a lot of a lot of what was going on. It's not okay. There's there have been stories. There's like there's there's stories from German like Germany and like you see about the different 
different aspects of control that were going on and the different struggles. But uh, yeah, we don't. Yeah, but there aren't that many films that, that that we see necessarily about this area. Yeah, that's true. And there was a, there was a kind of the the war finished, and then there was a new war. <laughs> yeah, the next part was happening. <laughs> And just on the part of like British war films or American mm. war films, mm. particularly older ones, they're very much a black and white morality to them. Mm. Nazis are obviously the bad guys. The Americans are, or the British are, the good guys. And there's very rarely any overlap. Yeah, the characters are kind of one-dimensional in that respect for the most part. Yeah. But in this film... You don't even see it in Germans. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like kind of a taboo. You can't humanize the German characters in those films. Whereas here, mm. even though it's after the war, it's dealing with the same people who were fighting against the Germans, and yet now they're fighting amongst each other. Mm. It's just an interesting story. Yeah. It's yeah. It's really really interesting. Um, observation. I mean, we kind of already started observations. Yeah, we but... did. Yeah, we did. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, you mentioned the the character arc, uh, and I think that's probably one of the most interesting parts of the story. Like the main guy, um, Machik, right? Machik. Right. He's a very watchable character. He's very cool. Uh, some people. I mean, I, I remember thinking it as well, but I mean, it's, it's it's pretty commonly thought like he's got kind of a James Deaney thing going on. Right. A little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> Even like, I mean, not it's not it's not a very good comparison, but some aspects of it have a little bit of um, Rebel Without a Cause, a little bit. Some aspects of it feel a bit that way. Like their, their relationship feels a, like the, the central love interest. What's her name? Chris, yes, Christina, Christina, yeah, something like that. Christina and Matic, a little bit of that, not not too much. Um, and then there's the death at the end. Right, <laughs> I saw this coming. Yeah. So the film starts off with the pair mm-hmm. of resistance fighters. I guess there's the superior officer, and then there's the main character, who's the kind of assassin. And their personalities are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, whereas the superior officer is calm and calculating and a lot more soldier-like. Mm. This guy is a lot... He's got that coolness, he's got the charisma, but he's also got that kind of devil-may-care mm. attitude. He kind of... There's a scene where he's pouring vodka shots for fallen comrades and lighting them on fire. And he pours two for him and his commanding officer, and he's about to light those on fire as well, as if he thinks of himself as already dead. Right. Which makes sense. I mean, given mm. the context of fighting against the Germans, that mission's over, and now a new mission has has begun. Even though he's not completely, he's not as invested. In, it, it seems he's not as invested in this mission as he was his previous. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And that change happens, like with yeah, like I was saying, with character when with the relationship with um, Crystal. And Is it Crystal? You said Crystal, right? No. It begins with a K. <laughs> and there's an R. It's a 
Yeah. I think it's crystal. Something like that. Um but yeah, that's very that's that's very interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, and this is sort of like you said, like foreshadowed in that scene mm. that he seems he seems to think of himself as dead, even though he seems to want, he says later on that he wants to live. He says that to right. his he says that to his, his superior officer, but his superior officer tells him, "You got to do your job. You volunteered for this. Yeah. So you're a soldier. Yeah. If you get out of this now, that's desertion. Right. That's." <laughs> Sucks. Terrible position to be in. It's like, but isn't the war over? It's like, exactly. It's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> that one is. This one isn't. <laughs> and we've already spoken about visuals, but one mm. thing I found cool right at the beginning of the film, he's lighting this guy up with his with his machine gun, <laughs> and he shoot. He, he's like he, he kind of loses his. He kind of loses it. Yeah. And he just keeps firing at this guy, even though the guy's clearly dead. Right. And the guy. Just suddenly sets on fire, I guess, from the heat of the bullets. Mm. It's, it was a, it's just a cool visual point in the film. It just looked damn right. It's shocking as well. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, shocking image. Um, but one thing as well. So, so one more association is what you notice is that a lot of the characters are linked. There's a lot of linkage. So even uh, like the. Um, that his, his, yeah, his commanding officer yeah. is in a house, safe house, uh, with the guy who they're going to k- kill. He comes in to visit his um, wife's sister to ask about his son. Right. <laughs> so the characters are very close. And that's why like, Matic comes into a very close contact with the guy they're supposed to kill. Right. And I don't know. You start you start to see partly the change there as well. Even though initially I don't think there's even much change. He's just kind of seen his target, and he's like, "Great, this guy's <laughs> well in my sights now." Right, right. But yeah, it's very. Mm. And the death scene at the end. Well, so he he he's successful in the assassination. He does kill this guy first mm. before he dies himself. And the guy kind of falls into his arms in an embrace. Yeah. As he's dying. Yeah. And they're not friends, but even though they're enemies, they're not really enemies. Mm. He's kind of recognised his humanity, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting arc. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, um, you know, let's face it, it is quite a cool movie. And I think it's intentionally made to be kind of a cool movie. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. The main character in particular, he's very charismatic and he just looks mm. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why it's Francis Ford Coppola's favourite film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go get some sunglasses and wear them all the time and a green jacket. And lose your humanity in the process? For a little while. Kill a few people? Meet a girl? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Take off sunglasses? This is not going to end well. <laughs> final, final words? Score? Words. And okay. Score. Um, final score. I would say about seven point five. It could be higher. I do like it a lot. Francis Ford Coppola would disagree. Well, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? <laughs> points. Points. Um. 
I would actually agree. Mm-hmm. I'd give it the same score. Seven point five. Having said that, I mm-hmm. do want to see it again, mm-hmm. and I think I think I would get more out of it from a second viewing. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I yeah I. I found it a bit confusing to start with. Mm. Mm. I did. Mm. <clears throat> but yeah, it's a good film. Mm. That's the first Polish film I've ever seen. Me too, probably. I'm not going to lie. Me too, probably. Yeah. Okay, what's our second movie? Our second movie is Trains, Planes and Automobiles. John Hughes, 1987. The Great Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Quite so. Quite so. (laughs) Yes. What's it about? Two people. uh, Neil, an architect. Dell, a shower ring curtain salesman. Become entangled in their struggle to get home uh, for Thanksgiving. Hmm. That is the synopsis. Kind of road trip-ish. Right, right. Yeah. The many... Yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, um, what are we thinking? Visuals. <laughs> it, in terms of a com- being a comedy, I think this does a lot of interesting things visually. Mm. Like the story, like in your synopsis, mm-hmm. is, it feels very much like a lot of other... The, around the same time, there were a fair few movie, road, kind of road trip kind of movies mm. like this. But this, I think, is a little different in some ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I, think I, I agree with you. Um... At the very least, we watch like um, John Hughes films, and they've got mm, what? What is it? A continuity. You kind of know you're right. watching a, a John Hughes film. Like, it's a lot of visual cues, visual elements. There's even something about the the grain of the way it looks, and like it just the color of it is. Um, I don't know it's got that 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 picture quality to it, you know. I know that sounds silly because a lot of films do, but it it does slightly more than some others. I think it. Will. Anyway, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of visual jokes as well. That's and, true. And the cameras, cameras used for a lot of, for making jokes. Right. Like when well when they introduced that um, that character, uh, Owen, for example. Who's the son of a guy whose hotel uh, they stay at his hotel, and he's the son of the hotelier, and uh, he's a real piece of work, <laughs> basically. But the, yeah, the shot starts from like his toes going up to his his face, and just to introduce him in in that way. <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's a bit of a terror that guy. Right. The co- costumes are good as well. Yeah, I was just thinking that the so the two main characters. Uh... Uh, John Candy and Steve Martin. Steve Martin, they're very different personalities. Right. Steve Martin's like the kind of like straight, straight-edged, businessy type, and you, and it, it's shown in his like costume. He's wearing this plain grey suit, mm. uh, shirt and tie, nice hat. It looks very neat, especially at the beginning of the film. Right. Conservative. Right, and it matches his personality. He's a very like. He's got something up somewhere that it shouldn't be. Like a, a stick. <laughs> He's that kind of character. Right. And then John Candy's the opposite. He's like this jovial, 
and, and uh, everything about his look. He's got this curly hair. He wears a bow tie. Uh, he's got this moustache that... It's a very strange... I don't know. It's a, it's, maybe it wasn't strange at the time, but it looks strange. Yeah. Pretty bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty bad, I think. So when you describe his fat in terms of fashion, mm. pretty bad. Yeah. But it matches his character because he's this like jovial, colourful, large, hmm. larger than life character. Right. And yeah, I mean, his look just goes along with it. Yeah, definitely. They put a lot of lot of effort into those uh, those kind of cues, I don't know, for the like, showing the character through the clothing and yeah, right. Even going as far as must wearing mustaches, it's a terrible. And of course, Steve Martin doesn't have a moustache because that would not be proper. I guess so, yeah. Um, How about props? <laughs> props are also, like, tend to play a part. <laughs> like the, um, the car. The car, the car, like, the car is, is something we've seen in other, like, John Hughes-related films, like Vacation. The cars are the visual marker for the deterioration of the situation. Right. And in this film, it's kind of the same. Right. Because the midpoint in the story, they're renting a car. Mm. And over the course of... Not even... It, it doesn't even take very long. Yeah, that one, no, that one goes down pretty quick. Right. <laughs> Which is weird, because, as you said, it like shows the deterioration of like situation but yeah. it it deteriorates really quickly true well yeah I mean a lot of it like to be honest yeah this 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 is like each section like they, they end up failing none of it's working right so yeah but mm. and it's kind of relentless yeah like it's one thing after another like the the, the scene you're talking about before with the son of the hotelier mm. the car that he drives them back with it's right. pretty run down as well. Yeah, they're it's, sitting in the back of the lorry. Exactly, yeah. covered in hay, and there's the guys. The dog is in there as well. <laughs> and then when when they get their own rental car, you kind of think maybe this is like an upgrade from where they've been because they've they've had to leave their train to go into this. The train crap breaks car. down as well, right? right. The train breaks down. Yeah. And then just when you think the stories, where things are looking up for them. And the car kind of demonstrates that visually. Then over the space of like 15 minutes, that goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> Back to square one. But I mean, to be honest, that has become, or maybe even that point, was, it's a pretty tried um, story type. You know, like characters constantly running into problems. But with this film, it, it doesn't feel... Like some films, I'd say I'd have to turn them off, like because they just get annoying. And this one doesn't seem to get annoying that way for some reason. Right. I don't know how they, I don't know how they carried it, but for some reason, it doesn't get annoying. I think here it's probably a lot to do with the characters. Probably, yeah, must be. Yeah, John Candy and Steve Martin are so likable. Even mm. when Steve Martin's clearly being an ass, he's still likable. True. I said, we will, let's come back to this in a bit later because we'll still stick to visuals for a bit. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> like, it, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to okay. say anything tonight. 
I don't know whether this, this is covered in visuals, visuals but I'll give one more thing. There's that, there's that book he's reading, a Canadian Mounted, which is a nice visual gag, I thought. It's, yeah. not, it's not a real book. It is, is it not? It's just a prop. Really? Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of fun. That's a lot of effort for that very small scene right at the beginning <laughs> of the film. Interesting. And in, sorry. Mm. Uh, my favourite scene of the film, mm. uh, about two thirds of the way in, it's another vision. It's like a almost like a stunt scene. Yeah. So they're inadvertently driving on the wrong wrong side of the highway. Mm. So they're driving into oncoming traffic, and there are these two lorries coming towards them, and they only realise at the last moment what's happening, and the camera shows the car going in between these two lorries, and it's, it's, it actually happens. Like they they shot that scene oh, of right. a car going in between the two lorries. Yeah. And then I think it's another, maybe it's another thing with Hughes movies. There's like a visual gag while they're going in in between the two lorries. Uh, Steve Martin's character is panicking, and then the, it cuts to shots of both characters as skeletons. Right. <laughs> they do this again in Home Alone Two mm. when uh, Marv's getting electrocuted, mm. and it's just this like absurdity to the situation and then yeah. Steve Martin thinks uh, John Candy might be in like some part of his mind he thinks John Candy's done this on purpose so he sees John Candy as like this laughing devil so he turns around and John Candy's wearing this devil suit laughing at him <laughs> and then at the end of the thing their hands are like stuck into the dashboard right? <laughs> <laughs> very cartoonish yeah but he gets away with it yeah I mean no, but in, in a good way I right. wasn't saying that in a bad way like it's just like they employed like elements of cartoon, definitely. Like that's that's yeah. something you'd see in that. But that's in um, Homeland too, right? It's like right. cartoonish in a good one. But it's not the so it cuts to those cartoonish moments. But a lot of the film is very straight laced, and I think mm. it's that contrast which makes it funny. If if the whole film was like this, I think it wouldn't have been as funny as it is. Mm. It's true. There's a kind of, there's a couple, well, there's a probably more than one, but there's a few kind of non-speaking cameos from pretty famous actors as well. Like Kevin Bacon in the beginning. He's in there. And then there's a very really small one where Susan Sarandon's literally just looking out of a car. <laughs> right. Really weird. <laughs> now, I only noticed that one recently, so I mean, yeah, like, if you're watching it and you've watched it before, then you can definitely pick up a lot of stuff, I think, more more you watch it. Yeah, it's very. They put a lot of work, I think, into what's going on on the screen. Right, there's a lot of attention paid to the details. Yeah, the book that you mentioned before. Yeah, it's, it's such a tiny scene. It's on screen for like ten seconds. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of like, very short scenes where, yeah, there's a lot of attention to detail. I think that's what makes it great. Yeah, I think so too. I agree with that. Sound. The film has sound. It does. It's not silent. <laughs> Anything stood out to you? Oh, uh, I think, well, s- soundtracks are kind of a thing with John Hughes movies, I think. Generally. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of them anyway. Like, I think of, like, Ferris Bueller's Day Off has got a good soundtrack. Um, I do like the Home Alone soundtrack. That, yeah, I mean, that one, to be fair, that's true, actually. You get a lot of, you get a lot of music in that, like. And so this one as well. So you get characters literally listening to music, kind of dancing along. Um, 
dancing along. Well, he's kind of well, he's not he's on a listening to um, mess around. Ah, right, right, right. He's right. kind of driving. It's <laughs> um, a good scene. That's a good scene. That's I good like scene. that scene. You get characters who are kind of defined by their music, the music they're listening to a little bit, like Taxi Driver and things like that. But you also get um. So I was talking about that Owen scene earlier, where the, where that the hotelier's son turns up, who's kind of look, he's look, he's dressed as a redneck, but they they use kind of slightly cliched horror music, but but clearly right. like for comedic effect to introduce this this character which you don't want, you never want to meet this guy. Full stop. You don't want to meet this guy anywhere. And once he's been revealed as this redneck, then it kind of there's a harmonica music kind of goes on to to, to hammer down the point. This guy's a redneck. Uh, it's very funny. It's very, but that's a combination. That's a combination of visuals and music, and they they are in, like clearly they go together. Yeah, massively. But there's a lot of those little sound cues. That, yeah. Yeah, I think the film does that very well. So too. Um, but yeah, one thing at the very end though, the music. I think it's just they, this kind of shows the the way it's kind of a huge thing. But um, can they kind of end a little bit sentimentally? This could be more an observations thing than the music. But the music at that point gets very sentimental. Right. Yeah. I think yeah, that's a recurring theme in his films. Yeah, I think so. I don't. I don't mind that. I mean, yeah, he gets away with it somehow. I'm not sure if he should, but he does. <laughs> mm. I mean, this film in particular, the ending is kind of bittersweet in a way. And I think the music, from what I remember, the music, I think it, is, it does that well. Because it doesn't have the stereotypically happy ending you might expect. Like John Candy's story ends up being a little bit sadder than you might expect. Yeah. So I do, I do think the music at the end is kind of like this overpowering, it's kind of like emotional mu- kind of music. Yeah, I think so. But again, for me, it's a little bit sentimental. But you're a cold-hearted just, man. <laughs> still kind of works. <laughs> um, Heart of steel. I liked it. <laughs> Anything more about sentimental? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, yeah, it has sound. It sounds good. <laughs> it's not a bad sounding movie. Fair Good. Can't really speak much to it technically. <laughs> Observations then. The thing I mentioned before, the ending being kind of bittersweet, mm. I, do, I do really like that. It's one of the things I remember most about the film. Mm-hmm. I watched it recently for the first time in a, quite a while, but that was one of the things I remembered. So what happens is John Candy has told Steve Martin that he's he's also going home to see his own family. And then at the end, it's revealed he doesn't have a family. His right. wife has long since died. And he's kind of just become this nomad who mm. just travels from place to place. And yeah, I, th- I thought that was, it's just a very interesting plot point. Mm. And, then, and there are a lot of hints about it throughout the film. And then near the ending, there's a scene where Steve Martin's thinking like back, right? And, and it shows clips from the film where there was some foreshadowing. I think that's very 
atypical, I think is that the word? A not typical, atypical? Mm, untypical? Untypical. Atypical. <laughs> it's not typical <laughs> of this kind of movie, I think. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I think what what's good about this film and what makes it so relatable is that the main characters are kind of slightly flawed characters. Yes. As much slightly. as... Well, I mean, you're, you're slightly or, or very. Um, and they're quite different characters. And you, you end up um, at some points kind of agreeing with one versus the other. Yeah. But they're kind of quite rounded in that sense of being, you know, not 100% good or 100% yeah. bad. The opposite ends of a spectrum, the two. Yeah. And they're constantly rubbing off against each other and, and to negative results. Right. But it's, in a quite believable way. Yeah. Which is good. Because I think that it could be quite forced, that, that relationship. True. But this one doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to put chalk and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and there is actual character progression. I mean, Steve Martin's mm. character does change. Right. From the beginning of the film, where he's just a bit of a pain in the ass. Right. His, yeah, his heart does kind of melt towards the end. Yes. Which gives the film like a kind of an emotional core as well. It's not just a funny film. It's actually, it's a film that, yeah, I don't know. It's a film. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching another one as well. There's some link to John Hughes called um, Dutch. And that's got a kind of similar, similar, similar dynamic in terms of the two characters. Um, like the what the one kid he's tra- he's bringing his his girlfriend's kid back for Thanksgiving. <laughs> Wait a second, <laughs> but the kid's a real pain in the ass. And if there's, if if he's he would be the Steve Steve uh, Mine character, and then Dutch would be the John Candy character. So it's a bit of an ongoing theme. This one does it a lot better, but Dutch isn't bad. Looking at the DVD cover of Dutch and one of the press quotes says it's like home alone with bart simpson is this accurate that is not accurate <laughs> <laughs> i would suggest that is not accurate <laughs> you're calling it you're officially calling out patrick stoner of whyy tv philadelphia interesting so if he's got a response this is the point <laughs> i think he's dead now <laughs> well, no, okay well Dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> Any more thoughts? Um, not really. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great movie. Um, it does have those kind of very American themes about traveling across America. <laughs> yeah, that is a the- that is a constant theme in a quite few, fair few movies, I guess. I think so. Yeah, it's a big place. So, makes sense. That's true. A part of that is just meeting like weird characters along the way. So that that happens in this. It does. Yeah. What's the other thing? The last thing I was going to say is I think I think they've tried to remake this story a couple at least a couple of times that I'm aware of. Right. Um, in different for, formats. One of the have you seen Identity Thief? I haven't. Uh, you're lucky. I mean, it's, it's kind of. <laughs> It's a long. It's a long. They've 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 stolen. Well, not stolen, but they've used the format, and it was nowhere near as good. 
didn't work. That wasn't a Hughes production, was it? I don't know. I don't think so. Hughes was already already dead by then. Um, yeah, and there's a Zach Galifianakis one as well. Yeah, that one. It's that one sort of takes it. And there's Zach Galifianakis one, and Robert Downey Jr., which is also sort of. When I was watching, I was like, "This is kind of doing a trains, planes, and automobiles type of thing," but not very effectively. Yeah. So anyway, you know, it's just a final thoughts from me. I think this this does that particular story very well. Yeah, it's the best version of that story that I can think of. Mm. Yeah. What? Sorry, Point. I guess. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would. Mm. So my my rating scheme for comedy movies is somewhat different than regular movies. Okay. But as a comedy movie. I would give it an 8.5. Mm, that's fair. It's one of my favourite. Yeah. And watch it repeatedly. And and laugh every right. time. Exactly. It's one of those... I watch this every year. Mm. Along with Home Alone 1 and 2. This is, I mean, we don't have Thanksgiving, obviously. But right. for me, it's like... Even though it's a Thanksgiving movie, for me, it's a Christmas film. It's close enough to Christmas, for right. us, isn't it? Has that feel. Um, yeah, I'd agree with 8.5. I'd go with that. Nice. It's a rare, it's a rare circumstance right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's next? Okay, our third and final movie is Color Out of Space, 2019, directed by Richard Stanley. What's it about? It is an ad- adaptation of a Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft book or story mm-hmm. in which Nicolas Cage and his family... <laughs> Move to... H.P. Lovecraft wrote Nicholas Cage's he did. book. <laughs> wow. He did. Wow. He saw <laughs> things. Anyway, Nicholas yep. Cage and his family <laughs> moved to his late father's farm in rural America. And not long after, a very bright pink, purplish pink meteorite crashes into his land, from which emanates some kind of extraterrestrial organism color organism Mm. colored organism Mm. which proceeds to wreak havoc but perhaps not in a way you'd expect Mm. yes yes (laughs) some that basically sums it up i'd say it is a strange movie yeah one that does not perhaps fit one particular genre. So it's not typical of a particular genre, I would say. Yeah. But let's start with visuals. Um, okay. This is a movie in which visuals are pretty important. Mm. Wouldn't you say? I would say <laughs> I, I would have liked, I would have liked to have seen this at the cinema. Right, yeah. Because it, it does lend itself to cinema environment, I would say. Uh, I agree. You could enjoy it at home. You can enjoy it at home. I did. But yeah, <laughs> me too. But <laughs> um, yeah, it would it would lend itself to the cinema anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it starts off the first fifteen or fifteen minutes or so, and the color palette is quite subdued. Yeah. Yeah. It's. it's I wouldn't say desaturated, but 
Yeah, I think subdued is probably the right word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like the look of it. And then when the meteorite crashes into Nicolas Cage's farm, mm. the colour scheme the colour scheme doesn't change, but certain colours are emphasized. So the meteorite itself is like this bright, vivid, pinkish, purplish colour. And from then on, that particular colour becomes a theme, a like running theme in the movie because the alien species I guess kind of okay it's a very it's a very strange explanation it's hard to explain it somehow is able to fuse living matter with light right or ch- yeah it's hard to know exactly what it's doing exactly yes and that brings us on to some other visuals once once that's established uh like that there's this strange organism um you start it it changes things literally yes in a worldly way in this world so they they they've got alpacas and they change <laughs> they do Nicolas cage is very proud of these very expensive alpacas mm. and they, yeah they change what happens to them Al? well they bec- i think yeah but it's okay they become we we both said this. Um, kind of started re- re- being reminded of the thing. The, I think there's a big yeah thing influence here. The nineteen eighties one, uh, and they they become they become they look a bit like that when they're changing. They look a bit like when that is it when the dogs the dogs the, that's it the, the things changing the dogs right they start to look a bit like that. Um, hmm. and this happens very quite late into the film. So yeah. the first half of the. F- one of the things that I think it does well is that it it builds to these things gradually. Mm-hmm. Like the meteor crashes into the farm in the first 15 minutes. Right. But from that point onwards, the there's like a gradual escalation of, I guess, consequences from what this alien organism thing is doing. Right. And when it arrives, it arrives with a... Like kind of a blast there that that's that the the, the build-up to that is is like um not a montage kind of a montage of the it different is, yeah. characters doing different things like the parents uh making love uh, <laughs> indeed uh, um, one of the yeah one of the one of the kids is, is is keyed in and he looks a little bit like the kid from um uh, close Encounters a little bit doesn't he ah. there's a little bit of Close Encounters even visually going on there um, I think or Poltergeist Poltergeist I think Poltergeist Maybe is another so, thing that influences yeah. this even with the TVs later on mm. so there's a few there's a few other kind of visual, visual clues there but yeah very tense and then there's a big blast of the purple blue light uh, and then from there, it all gets a bit crazy. <laughs> and the colours change. Which, yeah, I think that's one of the things this does well, is usually in this kind of alien movie, mm. you expect it to be a creature that then spends the rest of the movie attacking the characters. Right. And that's not what happens here. Yeah. Like, early on, like when the light is first, first hits... 
and it's still kind of showing the montage of the characters they are being you see them being affected in a certain way like one the youngest son is just staring at it mm. he kind of looks traumatized almost mm. the alpacas are going a bit crazy they get it the dog is i mean it's a trope but the animals will always notice it first the the dog's going a bit nuts and then from that point onwards you every time you see that light you know something's going to happen right but yeah so then yeah so yeah definitely and it changes a lot of stuff so it changes the alpacas a bit like we said about then it later changes um the mother and the son and fuses them together yes <laughs> this that's her Fairly horrific scene. Visual, there's a visual, but the image there, is, the imagery is horrible. Like yes. So the thing had this. It's a like a, David Cronenberg also did this like body horror mm, thing. Yeah. And this film does it too, which yeah. I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Because when I watched, when I started watching this, I didn't even know the genre. I just knew it was a Nicolas Cage film. I knew he was going to go nuts at some point. But then. For me, this came out of nowhere a bit. I didn't expect, which is why it was a bit. It was a. It was a bit more shocking than perhaps it might have mm. been otherwise. <clears throat> I think. Yeah, I think I agree entirely on the on the genre thing. I think it's quite hard to place this film. Um, you, I mean, you can broadly say it's a horror, but it's yeah. And then what kind of horror? That's it. Because the beginning starts off. I mean, I guess that's the normal phase, but I mean. Um, it really kind of humanizes the characters a little bit better than I've seen in a, on a lot of other films. They they do seem like a like a family, right? Like a normal normalish, like a bit weird, but that make that means normal for me. Like they seem like humans. Yeah, I mean the daughter character, the way she's dressed. So early on in the film, um, the narrator character stumble. Uh, he's walking through this forest and meets the daughter who's doing this kind of witchcraft-ish thing in her back garden, I guess. Yeah, they got a big property there, right? Right. And, yeah, so she's, she's wearing this kind of, kind of gothy clothes, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I guess, I, I, yeah, I, I do think that, not, I wouldn't necessarily say, necessarily say costumes, but what the characters wear kind of given ideas to the personality yeah I think it's well put together mm. what did you think of the effect the the, fu the fusion of the mother and the son uh, I thought that was good that was quite good actually it was good I think it was well done it was a horrible horrible image but right. it was very unexpected actually I think you said that as well but yeah it was unexpected but I mean, what you what you either get visually near the end of the film is a lot of kind of very strange, um, kind of trippy, yeah, trippy imagery. <laughs> yeah, would be the best way to describe it. But a lot of it looks it looks very beautiful as well. That's it that's does. the thing. That's why that's that's for me. What I would, why I would love to have seen this in the cinema with that kind of stuff is, don't know, two thousand and one ish, but not really, not really two thousand and one ish. But yeah. And it, it doesn't feel too art house-ish. No. Like, it, even though it's very trippy, mm. it doesn't go 
too far, in my opinion. Anyway, yeah. it, it it also seems to serve the serve the story. Yeah, and it try, it kind of makes you. It it it, it seems like it's trying to unnerve you mm. by showing you weird stuff like the TVs. Nicholas Cage is asleep, having mm-hmm. been watching TV. A character comes down, the TV is just showing static, mm. but then the camera zooms into the TV, and you can see there's something. There is some image there mm. behind the static. We you can't really see what it is, but there's something there, and he could see it. Right. So there's there's some connection with this. The light, the light is it does have an, some kind of effect on machinery as well. Right. But we were talking about that because it, it, on the kid's wall, one of the older older brothers' wall, there's a, there's a quote which you noticed. Right. No flesh shall be spared, which seems to relate to a book, some zombie book. Okay. But right. I think here it's maybe it serves as foreshadowing because yeah. we see that in his bedroom before the meteor crashes. I think. Yeah. Or very early on. Anyway. Yeah. Just I think it's just yeah around that time. And then when we start to learn what this meteor does to flesh, I guess, Mm. I guess that kind of served served as foreshadowing. I think so. I think so. So it's it's pretty neat. Like some some pretty neat stuff going on. Yeah. Visually with this film, definitely. I was surprised. Pleasantly. Yeah, no, I mean, as the, as I said before, where the film is is generally starts off kind of subdued as the film progresses the that color seeps into so like the the grass ends up turning kind of this reddish purplish color towards the end and it's kind of like taking over this small rural american house yeah it's really creepy it's good it's really creepy how about sound um, well, it starts off with the narration, which is accompanied by the visuals. Right. But. What did you think of the narration? Do you... Um. Is it necessary? I, I liked it. I think what it seemed to be trying to set it up was kind of as a fairy tale, almost. A little oh. bit. A little bit. I mean, if you use that kind of narration, you're always, you're always going to evoke that a little bit, I think. Right. And the narrator is uh, the guy who's doing the water survey. Right. <clears throat> um, and he does the final line as well. So he's like at the beginning and the end, which gives it like the book ending it effect yeah. of his, his narration. Like he's telling this kind of fairy, well, not fairy tale, but something a bit like that. <clears throat> I wasn't a big fan of it. Right. Because at the beginning, I didn't realize that it, the narrator was the character that I was seeing later in the film. Right. I didn't tie the two together at first. We thought, I think you told me in the end mm. that that's who it was. And then, I don't think the film needed the narrator. Because the narrator starts off by saying, oh, this, this is something that happened here. And and then at the end, when he's the spoiler, or whatever, he's, he's the only survivor. And you realise that's why he's the one telling the story. Because everyone else is, I guess, dead. Mm. But the film seems to be doing so much of its storytelling visually that it seems... Un- There's two moments that seemed unnecessary to me. One was the narration, and the other, you noticed, 
was some exposition, like a moment of exposition from a character. Right, the what's he called? Uh, Ezra. Right, the, the hippie ish. Yeah. Because he seems to be entranced or lo- kind of, lo- kind of, he's kind of connected to the machine at that point, what it seems, what it seems of things. Right. But he's not speaking, but he's connected to it. So the machine's speaking and it's telling you basically what's happening in the story. Yeah. In his voice. In his voice. Is, is, was he mm, dead at that point? Uh, he was changing. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I have a feeling, well, this just, I, I don't I don't have any evidence for this, but I have a feeling that the writers or whoever was responsible for this particular plot point thought there was a chance his audience was not following the story or that mm. there could be a chance that the audience was not following the story. Mm. So he perhaps not even, maybe didn't want to, but felt he had to insert this bit of exposition, yeah, which I think was unnecessary. It was, yeah. Kind of made it maybe made sense of the script writing phase. Right. But then they kept it in for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's just just a, a small thing which I think they could have done without. Yeah, I think it did. It, yeah, I agree with that one. Um, the music is very ominous. I think it works very well in this film. It does. Kind of electro-y, slightly 80s yeah. sound to it. At um, moments, slightly ethereal. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Definitely got that going on, yeah. It's got a weird atmosphere. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah. Well, obviously, you can't really talk about the music without talking about atmosphere. Yeah, so, yeah, go ahead. Right, because, like we were saying before about the genre being not not defined easily. Mm. <clears throat> and the atmosphere, like, because of the music, where at times it's, like, kind of ethereal and uh, mysterious. Mm. And then at other times it is more like increasing the tension so it kind of crosses the line to and from horror territory and sci-fi-ish yeah. weird sci-fi-ish territory but I think it does it well because that's it initially um, there's that there's that the, I think there's slightly ethereal music when the guy's doing the, the talking over a bit mm. voiceover a bit at the beginning but then, yeah, like you are, you what you are wondering is it is it a sci-fi to some extent? I suppose it is a sci-fi to some extent. Yeah. But yeah, mm, it's only got those those things going on. And the music tells the tale. <laughs> <laughs> it does indeed. Yeah, I think it sounds pretty good. Yeah, it has sound. It sounds good. <laughs> good soundtrack. Good music. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Observations, themes? Um, okay, so this being a Nicolas Cage film, um, I think it's not unreasonable to assume before going into it that you know that there's going to be a point in the movie where Nicolas Cage goes from acting like a normal person <laughs> to flipping out. <laughs> so um, The genre is cage exploitation. I agree. I, I agree. <laughs> I think that should be a, that should be a genre. <laughs> because he makes a lot of these films. He does. And yes. I think an hour into the film, like 50-something minutes into the film, I was not disappointed. Mm. 
I thought it was a bit of a shame though, because before that, I mean, I think what you're saying is that like he's a good actor. He is. He's, he's a good actor, you know. He does the flipping out well as well. He does <laughs> do the flipping out well, but I mean, it's just like <laughs> oh, nowadays, like oh, yeah, I'm watch the next case film. We want to see him going crazy somehow. However, but that is. I think the film gives a good enough justification for it. So the the light is also kind of infecting the water supply right. somehow. Right. And the family are drinking from it and Nicolas Cage is, is like mental health is being affected by this. It made sense. It was right. well, yeah. I haven't seen Mad Dad. Mad Daddy. That's it. that's another cage show. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> I but I'm assuming that. that that one doesn't necessarily justify his, his going craziness. <laughs> I don't know. He might I might be wrong. But this one did justify it. Yeah. But I was just I was just enjoying him like acting at the beginning. Yeah, because well, it's, it's, it's very <laughs> subtle. In the beginning, it's a very subtle performance. Yeah, it's it's good. I really because that's the thing. It's like kind of like they really do set up the the norm normality of their life at the beginning. Right. And that, I think it lends well to the pacing. Yeah. Where it doesn't immediately turn to shit, and then it's just relentless action horror from then onwards it's not that it's an hour of kind of build up build up and really creepy as well yeah and does build a lot of tension and then when he does finally flip out he does it well I think he does yeah he's like at first he's just being a bit unkind to his daughter Mm. and then it goes from that and then escalates to the point where he tries to feed his he tries to feed his daughter (laughs) to the fusion of his wife and son kind of right but then he <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah but are, but is it the wife and son like in this world they are but it seems like but that's the other thing like it's um you it doesn't follow the norms of horror in the sense that even by the end of it you're not exactly clear whether something Something something's happened, but you're not sure if it was entirely a bad thing per se. The narrator at the end's telling you this was a terribly evil event that took place, and I think that's what I I would agree with you in that those the I thought the first bookend was quite good, his first one, but his end bookend was he's he's like he's trying to frame the film like what's happened, but right. I was I didn't feel that way. Yeah. I was a bit I was more confused. Like he's trying to make it clear that what happened was terrible or like right. there was an evil presence came with the lot the light just seems clearly it's killed the family I mean, in what, this world what happens to the mother and son is pretty horrific it is horrific but then you also seem to see that they they don't seem to have actually died they're they, they seem to have literally been changed right but their presence in this world was fucking weird as hell right but they they've been changed to something else Right, because there's 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 also, there's also like a kind of it's not flashback, but there's a point where the character sees the I think possibly the world or dimension that this thing has come from. Right, he kind of gets drawn in, drawn into it, doesn't he? But right. because he's not in as in contact with with the light, or he hasn't been imbibing of the the water or anything. Right. Sorry, just <laughs> <Please> continue. <laughs> No, yeah. But he's able to escape. It can't drag him in the quite same way. But he does he does get shown visions of what where the the other world. Right. Hmm. So it's it's very strange in that respect, yeah. And it 
to its credit, it doesn't try and explain it, which I think is a good thing because if they had explained it, if they if a they had a bit. character that is where a character explains it a little bit. Yeah, it's not it's not a huge amount, but he does explain True. it a little bit. For me, the the real weakness of the film was that towards the end, mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage and the family stop being the main characters. Once the light has affected them to the extent that the family are no longer there, yeah. and Nicolas Cage, I can't remember exactly what happens to him at the end, but he, he is also shot. Right. When he's going to shoot. Yeah, anyway, yeah. That's he it, yeah, he's, he gets shot. And then the movie keeps going for like another 10 minutes with the narrator character and a cop. And the cop hasn't been introduced at all prior to this point. Not really. We don't know who he is. And the narrator, he flits in and out of the story, but he doesn't really have much much of an arc. You do meet the cop because he shows him that he's found some remains of something, blah, blah, blah. That's the one to change. But I mean, yeah, it is is a bit... In my opinion, they're the two weakest characters of the film. And then we spend the climax, the last 10 minutes with them. Mm. For me, I felt like the, the story had already finished. The story I was watching had already finished, and then now I was with these two for like ten minutes. I was okay with the the water guy turning up, um, but yeah, you could have left the cop out of it probably. Yeah. But you, I think they wanted somebody to be able to kill off um, Nicholas Cage's character. But that was it. I thought that the, the, the yeah, it became the writing came a bit clunky at that point. It's like we need to clear up these parts of the storyline, right? So we can get to this end result. Exactly. So that was, yeah, that was a bit of a shame, really. I think the writing up until that point was very good. Yeah. And then it felt like they didn't know how to end it. So they kind of pulled oh, these I, things together. And they, I think they had the end in mind, but they didn't have... They, but, the, but to get there, to get there I don't they get had right. to use those kind of slightly tired horror devices. Right. But yeah, it became a bit too typical. But Yeah. I mean, having said that, it's a very small part of the film. Most of the film is not is not that. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, it does it. Um, it's a bit of a shame that, that that section of the film went right. that way. Final thoughts. Um. Oh it's, well, I mean, yeah, I think it's 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 a good film. I think the atmosphere is probably the one of the strongest parts of the film. Mm. Um, that's yeah, it's a good thing. How about you? Final thoughts. I agree. Uh, visually, I think it's a very Beautifully filmed film. Mm. <laughs> I don't know if it was shot on film, but whatever it was shot on, it's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the most part, the performances are very well done. Mm. The plot is interesting. Mm. The atmosphere is thick and interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I, mm. I liked it. What would you give it out of 10? It's oh, a bit of a tricky one. I think it was like if I'd have been if it would have literally continued how it did from the first hour or like been like kept it clean the storyline uh, then it would have been like a strong nine or, or or like nine yeah strong nine but because of those little bits I think I'm gonna probably say seven on seven how about you I completely agree I'll give it seven point five. Mm. But yeah, for me, if the if they'd ended it a bit better, it would have been an eight. But having said that, I still really enjoyed it. Um, I'll probably watch it again. 
Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. I mean, you like, can watch it again quite easily, I think. I've, yeah. watched it, I've watched it a couple of times already. Right. And for the cage aficionados out there, <laughs> you will get what you are looking for. He flips out. <laughs> and more, and more. And more. It's got a really cool name as well. Cooler yeah. from Outer Space. It's a really cool name. It's true. <laughs> that is true. So that was the podcast. That was the podcast. We will see you. <laughs> you will hear us next time. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Any controversial comments at the end? <laughs>